You are my child, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. These are powerful, life-changing, and life-saving words. In our gospel reading this morning, Jesus comes to be baptized by John the Baptist at the Jordan River when he's around 30 years old. In Mark's gospel, this is the very first time that we see Jesus. But from Matthew and Luke's gospels, we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he and his family immediately fled to Egypt to escape King Herod, and that years later, according to Jewish custom, when he was 12 years old, he was presented in the temple in Jerusalem, where he stayed late to school the priests on the finer points of theology. And that's all we know about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. So when Jesus comes to the Jordan River, he's an unknown. He hasn't really done any teaching or calling or healing or miracles, nothing else that the gospel writers thought it was necessary to chronicle. He could have just been seen as some average guy, unremarkable, or maybe even perceived as a failure, still living at home with his parents after all these years, after all 30 in Jesus' time was well past middle age. This is Jesus' very first public event, and it would become the inauguration of his public ministry. Jesus wades down into the water and the river and is plunged down by John, and when he emerges from the water, the heavens break open, the Holy Spirit descends and rests on him, and a voice, that voice comes down from the sky, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. This one sentence These 12 words are a big, big deal. God, Jesus' Father, claims him, this is my child. And in front of everyone declares his love for him, my beloved, and says how proud he is of Jesus, with whom I am well pleased. God says, everyone, everyone, this is my child, whom I love more than anything else in the entire world. I am so proud of him. These are powerful words. And you know that if you've ever heard someone say them to you, when you hear words like, I love you so much, or I'm so proud of you, you know that you are safe and loved and secure, that you belong. It's the foundation from which to dream dreams and pursue life with confidence and hope. My mom has always been one to say those kinds of things, and I soaked it up when I was a little kid and then was embarrassed by it when I was a teenager, and then as a young adult thought, I'm too old for that, and now as I have kids, I soak it up again. My mom must have a VIP account at the Hallmark store because she sends me cards all the time, and she addresses them to Pastor Keith Anderson. I get cards for special occasions and no occasion whatsoever, just cards to say, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, I love you, I'm proud of you. It means a lot. Uh, my mom is, uh, I'm on Facebook a lot, but my mom's nominally on Facebook. She uses my stepdad's Facebook account to follow us, but she doesn't post anything at all. She doesn't leave a comment. She doesn't do anything. What she does is at the end of each week, she'll send me a summary email based on the things I posted on Facebook. <laughs> and say how much she enjoyed seeing them and how proud she is of her family. Those things mean a lot. 
Um, But at the same time, you know, there are many people who have never heard those words from a parent. And they too know how powerful those words are, perhaps even more so, because they are words that they long to hear but haven't. They know how much it would mean to hear those words, and I hope they have from an aunt or an uncle, a spouse, a partner, a sister or brother or friend, and if from no one else, hear them from God this morning, you, you are my child, my beloved, I love you, I'm proud of you. We know from our own experiences or our own longings that these 12 words can have a life-changing effect on someone. And we can imagine that they have that same kind of effect on Jesus too. Even if Jesus already knew that he was the Son of God, to be claimed in such a way still must have been incredibly powerful. To have it said in front of all of those people at the riverside too. Because while Jesus might have known it and thought it, no one else, maybe except his parents, would have. And so this affirmed who he knew he already was on the inside. And this baptism comes before Jesus accomplishes anything in his life at all. Before he does anything, all of those miracles, all of those teachings, all of those journeys, before any of that, God says to him at the baptism, I am well pleased with you. I am proud of you. Not for what he had done, but for who he was, the person he had become. These are among the most powerful and precious things anyone can speak to another person. These are the words that can literally save a life. These are the words that make all the difference. These are the words that are spoken to Jesus in his baptism, and they're the same words that are spoken to us in our baptism, the beginning of the Christian life. There at the font and the swirling waters and the word of God, God claims us forever as God's children. We are adopted and never to be returned. God promises to be our God forever and always, no matter what. No matter what we do, no matter how we stray, God says to us through thick and thin, I will be your God because I love you, because I want the world to know that I love you, that I love you just as you are and I am proud of you, not for what you have done, but for who you are. And who I have made you to be. At baptism, God promises to be our God always, to give us eternal life and forgiveness in that moment and all the moments that we screw up in our lives, which are many. God promises us to give us the Holy Spirit, which helps us uh, to believe, who is the source of our giftedness. God promises to make us part of God's mission, to make us part of something bigger than ourselves for the sake of others. God plops us down in a community of faithful and flawed people, and we get a super snazzy baptismal candle to go with it. It's a remarkable list, and these promises will never be broken because for all the promises that get made in baptism by parents and grandparents and godparents and congregants, the most important promises made at any baptism are God's, because those promises are never broken. They endure for eternity. And we hear that so beautifully said in our first reading from Isaiah 43, which is my favorite passage in the entire Bible, when God says, I have called you by name and you are mine. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fires, you shall not be burned. 
for you are honored and you are precious in my sight and I love you. I read that passage all the time at people's bedsides and hospitals and in their homes claiming that God is our God now and always, no matter what. And so we begin this baptismal life, our Christian life, with this pledge from God and in a sense having nothing to lose. We have these promises. They can't be rescinded. We've already been given in our earliest days the most life-changing, life-saving promises that can never go away. And yet, we can become so focused on how much we have to lose. We can focus so much on our faults and our flaws instead of all the blessings in our lives. We can think of all the ways that we fall short rather than all the ways that we do well and all the ways that God comes to us with this overwhelming love that overwhelms all our shortcomings. And we got back into town last week uh, from Canada, and we drove back on Saturday. So we were here at home on Sunday, just not here at church, kind of soaking up the last bits of vacation. And so I did something on a Sunday morning that I would rarely ever have the chance to do. I went to a, a different church. I, I went to the Ambler YMCA. I wait. I'll wait. Um, so, so I went to the Ambler Y uh, late uh, last Sunday morning, and it was packed. There were so many people. And I had never been to a gym on a Sunday morning because usually I'm here. Um, and so I said to the guys, I checked in, I said, is it always this busy on Sunday mornings? And he said, no, 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 uh, New Year's resolutioners, right? <laughs> and, uh, and then it all made sense. Uh, and I've never seen the Ambler Y as busy as it has been over the last two weeks in my, in my three years of going there fairly consistently. Um, and it's a good thing, and we should all resolve to be healthier in 2016. And maybe most of all, we should just resolve to tell each other that we love each other more uh, because we all need to say it and we all need to hear it. Uh, And so there is a good thing about getting healthier for the new year, but there's also a little bit of that dark side to, to resolutions. There's this kind of feeling like we have to change ourselves in some way to be loved and to be accepted, you know, to accept and love ourselves, or to be accepted and loved by other people, or maybe even to be accepted and loved by God. We have to be a certain way and look a certain way and have achieved certain things to be loved and accepted. But in God, those things are not true. In God, we have nothing to lose, and we are accepted fully as we are. And so because we have those confidence and those promises, we can live with a great freedom to live for others, even to the point of laying down our lives for them. For Lutherans, the Christian life is marked by this wonderful sense of freedom. We've already been given everything. We don't have to earn it or worry about holding on to it. And because of that, we are free to focus not on ourselves, not just our relationship with God individually, but to focus on other people to the point of laying down our lives, giving ourselves away in humble service. And in this kind of giving, there is always more than enough. There's always more, always more love and grace to go around. And just because we give it away, in no way that it means that we have less, because you know when you give, it always feels like you've gotten more in return. God, everybody gets more. In short, I think 
in baptism, our lives wind up looking a lot like Jesus. Not because we're working our way up to perfection, but because we heard the same words at our baptism that Jesus did, because we share in the same freedom that he had in God's promises. From his baptism, Jesus launched into a life that changed the world as he spoke those same words to others. I see you. I love you. I know you. You are mine. I am well pleased with you. He said those words to beggars and widows and lepers and to the dying and to children and to his enemies. It led him all the way to the cross where secure in God's love and mission, he would lay everything down and yet still not lose it all. For even in his death, he did not lose the promises of God. For it was then that he received their full power in his resurrection. In the shadow of the cross, that scripture, those who love their lives will lose them and those who hate their lives will keep them to eternal life begins to make sense. Individually and as a community of the baptized, we can fall into so many worries, even at the start of a new year when everything seems fresh and possible. Sometimes it never seems like there is enough, that we worry about what will be lost. We lose sight of the steadfast promises of God um, in which things can never be lost. Those things at the heart of our life together, the things that make us the body of Christ in this place, in this time, the promise of God. When I was a kid, I once asked my mom, I said, Mom, are we rich? And she paused for a moment and answered, We're rich in love. And that was a completely unsatisfying answer to me <laughs> as a kid. But I've never forgotten the answer. And of course she was right. For finally, that is the only kind of richness that matters. Love is the only kind of richness that endures even if you win the Powerball. It is the richness of having nothing to lose and so much to gain. Amen.